Nigel. Hi Boris. Very welcome to uh, hello everyone as well. Um, so we are the Dubai Lessons podcast and then our guest today is Nigel. Nigel is a friend of mine whom I've met in the beautiful country of Bahrain and he's got over than 25 years of experience on the financial markets. He's been a salesman, he's been an investor. Um, these days he's also involved in the fintech space. So, Nigel, I think that this is a very short introduction. Can you please tell us a little more about, uh, about yourself and your experience in the financial markets? Sure, yeah. So I started out as a broker in the financial markets, uh, particularly in, in the money market side, cash deposits and interest rate swaps. And from there I went on to do electricity trading, uh, experienced the Enron collapse, worked through that into equity derivatives, options trading, and uh, eventually ended up in the ETF space. At the end of that, that probably took uh, over 20 years to go through the whole process. I then wrote a book on investing after I had a successful year. And then uh, through, through a friend of mine got asked to go out to do, uh, Dubai and Bahrain and spend a bit of time in the financial markets there. And now these days I'm involved with companies in the fintech space because that seems to be the evolution of financial markets and uh, I'm still investing in stocks and uh, trying to earn a living doing a few other things as well. Fair enough. Um, So shall we, the the topic of our discussion today is going to be, as you know, the mindset and then the mindset, uh, the mindset kind of shift between traditional financial services to to kind of uh, fintech. But before we go into the topic do you mind um, sharing a bit more uh, about your your book you're the only broker that I know who has written a book about invest uh, about investing so how did that how did that happen that happened because in 2016 uh, I had a very good year uh, earned over 100% in the stock market which is good by anyone's standard it's not great it's com- fantastic it's not good it's just bit, fantastic compared to Bitcoin it's not brilliant but didn't really know about Bitcoin back then, uh, so I'm happy with over 100%. And I was asked by uh, friends of mine how I managed to do it, and I have a method. So I was going to say, say to write a few notes and say, look, you can do it this way. And then I thought, well, actually, I've got time to to write a book, maybe a small how-to book. But I didn't realise how much time it would take. So I started to get into it and um, it took nine months all in. Uh, wrote it for six months on and off. I uh, have to wait for inspiration at times and the right words. And then I sub- self-published. Now self-publishing was one of the hardest parts. <laughs> it took three months. Three months? <laughs> Unbelievable. So I was doing what I thought was a cost-effective route and uh, yeah, it was cost-effective, but it, it was there was a lot of stress involved, to be honest. But I had, as I said, I had time on my hands, and that was mid to late 2017 because I was I was writing about my experience uh, during 2016. 
not only from a, um, a how-to but also from a mental perspective because the mental side of uh, investing and trading is, is probably more important than, than anything else. Once you have the, the nuts and bolts of, of your method, then sticking to it is the hardest part. And that, that involves the, the mental side of things. So that's, that's, uh, that's really how I got started on writing a book. And uh, it was ready for Christmas of 2017. Fantastic. So you mentioned that the mental side of, um, of investing is um, something which is actually the hardest part. So can you, uh, can you share with, uh, with everyone uh, who's watching that and who's listening to, to the podcast, what are the, uh, what are the three key takeaways in terms of uh, having the right mindset to invest successfully on the financial markets? First of all, you start. We go. We, we step back to the, to the bit, the, whole, the beginning of the whole process, and uh, the beginning is, what's your plan? Do you have a plan in place of what's going to happen throughout all the different eventualities that can happen? So, with your plan, you you try and try and see what can go right and what can go wrong. How you're going to stick within that that plan, and then then you reach the end the end point. Then, okay, you visualise what's going to happen if and how you're going to react if certain events happen. When you visualise things in your mind, it gives you an idea of how you're going to react. So if you've pre-prepared yourself for those events and how you're going to react, you have a much better mindset in holding it, the whole plan together. So the, the planning really is probably one of the most important exercises because it prepares you in advance for your mental reaction. The, the mental reaction, which is often an emotional reaction, is, uh, if you don't really know what you're doing, you haven't planned, then, well, as, as uh, a lot of teachers will tell you, failing to plan is planning to fail. So in that regard, the planning really is the, the beginning and end point of how your, your mental reaction will be. Right. So that's step one, have a plan. S- step, step two, you know, don't plan to fail mm. and, have, and, and, and have a plan. And then how about reactions? Sometimes it's uh, very difficult to, personally at least I find it's very difficult to control myself when... Uh, uh, when I have um, a position in, say, in a stock or in a fund, and then the market goes against me, so how do you have any tips or tricks in terms of uh, control uh, controlling yourself? And then I still get upset when I lose. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone does, I right? I can't deny that. Uh, you know, if an investment's going against me, but uh, but I, I go back, then I, I check my notes, I check my. Uh, all the research that I've, I've done, I, I look at my decision-making process and I check to see that, is it still valid? Is the process still valid? Are, are my points that I, the whole uh, investment thesis relies upon, is it still valid? And I check it and I, if, I, if I think it's still good, I think, okay, just have to be patient. Patience is one of, one of the most important parts. Yeah, patience is really, really important. It's, it's hugely important. We all want quick gains. 
Uh, unfortunately, with the, with the best will in the world, it's not always possible. So, just to, to illustrate my point, 2016 over 100%, 2017 also over 100%, I'm pleased to report. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, you know, I'm very pleased with those results. 2018, uh, down 20%, 22%, something like that. Uh, probably at one point it was over 35%. That's difficult. That's huh? difficult. Now, but um, from my perspective, I'm, I'm okay with volatility. If I've done the research that I've done, if I'm happy with the research, as I say, I go back to that and refer to it and think, look, have I made a mistake here? The, the market's telling me something different. Perhaps I am wrong. You know, I'll accept if I am wrong. But let's have a look at what's going on and put it all in perspective. Does, does, the, does the research still bear out? In this case, 2018, yes, it was, it was bearing out. So why should I panic? No need to panic. Stick with it, be patient. 2019's come along. Uh, I'll definitely be ending up up on the year. Uh, I was waiting for some news a couple of months ago. Things started to look good. Thought, right, here we come, here we go. This is, uh, it's all starting to pan out and I expect 2020 to be even better, to be honest. Uh, so I think 2019 will, will probably finish up um, 10%. Which is great, I mean. Which is fine. Uh, will it reach the, the heights of late 2017? I don't think so. I think we'll have to wait for 2020 to come come past that. Uh, but um, again, patience is, is the, the watchword. Patience is a patience is yeah. a virtue, everyone. Yeah. So write write that uh, write that down. Um, Nigel knows about uh, what he's talking. So um, going further down the line uh, into into our conversation so the reason one of the many reasons that i wanted to to record that with you today is that uh, is the fact that you've been on on the markets for uh, for quite a while now and obviously these days the buzzword is fintech yeah. so tell me what is the uh, tell me is there a difference between the mindset that you're seeing today and then the one that was say that, that, that it used to be say 20, 25 years ago has that changed? has that evolved? if yes, how? the mindset of an investor or the person that's actually involved in, in fintech the, so the, 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 mindset, the mindset of people in financial services the mindset yeah. of people who work in that, in that industry did they you know, have any has anything changed? has anything um, evolved uh, in the say in the day of a, for example, a salesperson. How a broker used to, to, to work 25 years ago, and how do they how do they work today? Has any technology? Technology has changed everything. It okay, ha it has to be said. It's changed everything. So originally, when I started out, you picked up the phone, you, you dialed up, you spoke to someone, asked them if there's any business, tried to be nice, cajoled them. It was a relationship business, right? It was, and it was direct uh, through the phone. Then, you, if, if you, you manage to have some rapport on the phone, you'd meet them. Then you meet them again and again, and hopefully you'd build up a, a nice business relationship through personality, character, and, and what have you. So, very much a relationship-driven business. 
But what's happened with technology is that it's it's taken that relationship away. Okay. Now it's the, there is there is still a need for relationships because we're human after all. We need someone to interact with us, especially in difficult times. There's issues, problems, te technological issues, service issues, things like that. But it, it's taken away the the, the, the matey, you know, pally style of uh, broking in particular, or um, transacting. It's taken it away and moved towards technology, which is it's more efficient, it is more service orientated, and it's lower cost. So that I think that's probably the, the biggest point I would I've noticed and what does that do well it, it takes away jobs uh, which is not a bad thing because technology comes along and, and makes things more efficient it lowers costs and that's, that's we're, we're trying to be more productive as a as a race uh, as humans so it's just a natural evolution in uh, in a process and I think the, the finance sector has been lagging behind other sectors in that regard so it was about time. So what we've seen is, um, I wouldn't call it, in some cases it's a gradual shift, but in others it's been quite, quite fast. Uh, if we talk about um, foreign exchange, for instance, yep. I know from talking to some of the, the heads, of, heads of trading that uh, foreign exchange desks, there used to be 20 odd people on, on a desk. Now it's down to one, if that because the, the technology has, has taken away the, the need for having human bodies like pick up phones, answer calls, talk to people. <laughs> There's no need. It's all done on a screen. And as we know, that the, the new generation quite likes screens. And we've adapted as well as a you know, Gen X, Millennium. So uh, we have to follow suit. Fair enough. Um, do you think that the impact... Uh has been just taking away jobs. Don't you think that jobs have changed and then as opposed to, for example, having a person picking up the phone, then you have another person developing a piece yeah. of software? Yeah, or? no, the job, the job has changed. We've lost jobs, but the, job, the, the, the role of the human interaction has um, become more of a client relationship right. uh, activity, I would say, more of an, a client relationship role. Most of the business, in my, in, um, in my experience, has been done, it shifted to the technology, onto platforms, but you still have to have the, the relationship manager there in the background, just, just to make sure that, please use our system, everything okay, service good, all these sorts of factors, that, but they're, they're not as full on, hello mate, have you got any business today? Not, not, right. It's not like that anymore. So the business that is there to be done is, is done on the platform, but clearly there is a role for a, a relationship manager of, of some description to, to cover perhaps a bit of sales, service, any issues, what can we do better? Right, so it, it has evolved and then right now we can, even, we probably, we can probably even say that you need a client relationship manager that is a bit of sales, a bit of a bit of service. Perhaps we have everything has become a little more transparent as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a very very good point. The transparency. There's there's uh, there's no hiding places. Everything everything can be audited, can be tracked, all on 
electronic systems. You know, I used to work at BGC. The, the shift towards electronic systems was inexorable. And all the brokers knew it. That either they adapted where they could adapt, or they they found themselves, you know, with their own business being reduced slowly but surely. So, you know, there could be a knock on the door and say, look, I'm sorry, but not enough business to support your salary. You're going to have to find another another option. Another gig. Yeah. So, what was the, um, the impact, what do you think was the impact of the electronification, if I might say, uh, of the FX business? I think to a large extent it's been driven by regulation right. uh, for the majority of the financial services. Regulation since 2008, nine, you know, the great financial crisis. Yep. Uh, regulation had to be brought in to safeguard consumers and also I think to safeguard those, those people at the top of the tree that probably uh, <laughs> help create the excesses and then the subsequent collapse. So regulation kept, kept the public happy so that it's not going to happen again. Well, it will happen again, but it'll be in a different format. It's all cyclical, isn't it? The, the cycle repeats. So, um, so in that regard, then, I think regulation has driven an awful lot of this change. Uh, the banks, the brokers, uh, all the intermediaries, and everyone around it has seen that there has to be more transparency, Again, there's no, there's no hiding places because they don't want this to happen again and this is how we do it. So what, what, what is the effect on, the, on the, uh, the incumbents? Well, they have to shift to where they can be seen to be more transparent, where there's more accountability and documentation in terms of auditing. So the regulators want to know at all times, has everything been done? in an order and done, being done by the book. And that needs to be auditable. So all these big banks and brokers, well, all of them, in fact, not, not just the big ones, but all of them have to play by these rules. And with the knock-on effect of that is that the smaller players, they can't compete because the cost of regulation takes them out of the game. That's a knock-on effect. What does that mean? It means less competition. And is that good for the public or the, the consumer? No, it's not it means less competition. So there, there are different knock-on effects to, to all these uh, rules, regulations and changes in the marketplace. But at the same time, uh, with regards to the, the new financial players, FinTech boys, uh, the new kids on the block, I mean, you and I have spoken about you know, the, the, the challenger banks. Yeah. Uh, there are also some smaller payment service providers coming up and coming. They have to play within the new rules and they're managing to do so not profitably I don't think for, for to a large extent because of the, the rules and regulations but one hopes that they will get there and if, if they don't get there that quickly they will be funded enough uh, sufficiently so that the, the incumbents the legacy banks and, and players will say you know what that's actually quite good we like that technology we've got a huge number of clients that would love that our systems can't support all these these low-cost uh, services that are coming online from the new boys. We'll buy it. That's that's really where the, the value is going to come in for all the work that they've done. So this is this is where you see a shift of uh, 
incumbent players just going and <clears throat> shopping for new technology which would think so. subsequently yeah. empower and add, their, add value to their, their existing for the most part huge client bases I think that's really where the, the value is going to come from for the for the, the small guys that have done all this work over the years you know, we, we, we talk about the losses of, of the challenger banks yep it's, it's, it's non-stop how are they going to survive how are they going to continue and you know yep, okay in the, the ZERP and NERP environments fine it can be funded because the money's got, got nowhere else to go really there's no yield so investors will look for something that doesn't give them a, a yearly yield but, but maybe it's a, a huge bonus at the end if it's successful maybe a, a private purchase or IPO okay um, f- uh, fair enough I think this is uh, this is quite interesting so you're um, you're not only the only broker that I know who's written a book you're not only an investor but uh, these days you, you spend quite a bit of your time uh, uh, between the UK and, and, and the Middle East and then you're also uh, having an, an excited fintech project right mm. so you are involved in a in a couple of interesting uh, businesses. So do do you mind uh, do you mind sharing uh, what do you exactly do in the in the FX space? Sure. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, Fifty Five East FX? What? Fifty Five East, absolutely. So Fifty Five East, uh, I could see the changes uh, coming about in in the marketplace, and if I see a trend, I want to be I'd like to be part of it uh, because generally. Money follows a trend, and, uh, and also it's a it's a very interesting space. So 55 East came about because I thought to myself I could uh, I could generate some income, create a business, and grow a business. Because the being a broker, you you're pretty much stuck doing one job, and it's not a growing business now because as we've discussed the yeah flowing elsewhere so I thought where where can I position myself where I can be in receipt of the flows and and build a business uh, 55 East came about and uh, what does 55 East do it it's a foreign exchange platform uh, it's it's a sales arm of a, that sits on top of a, a foreign exchange platform and uh, and that platform is technology regulated and com- compliant in all the ways that it needs to be now as an individual I can't do that myself it's too expensive however I can create a sales arm that sits on top of that and I can leverage off all that compliance technology and then use my sales techniques as a broker one hopes uh, although it has to be a little bit updated these days due to digital marketing changes and Hello, mate. Doesn't work. <laughs> so, so in that regard, um, 55 East has come about, and and that's the new project. So I'm leveraging technology, and I'm also leveraging sales. Right. So, what are the problems that uh, 55 East FX solves? 55 East is able to provide a new venue, a new out, uh, a new uh, service for existing SMEs and corporates in that it will reduce costs and improve service levels for transferring money globally. Right. 
We currently have uh, uh, just, just over 130 odd currencies, global currencies, that we're able to transact. It's not only spot or an exchange, it's forwards as well. So if you need to transfer money in a year's time, or three months, or six months, nine months, whatever, you can actually choose the date that you wish to transfer the money on and agree a rate in advance. So in that regard, it's, it's, uh, it's very much like the, the old financial markets, which gives you a whole range of options, but that's done on a platform. So, so for small and medium-sized companies, that gives them a huge advantage because they can, they can, um, they can tally up and match their cash flows when they're going to have payments in and payments out. So they can say, right, we like that rate, let's go, let's go to market and secure that rate. It's very much like the, the hedging of commodities back in throughout, throughout history. Cash flows come in, cash flows go out. It's a cash flow process. Right, and all that in, um, in different currencies. How about the, the, the rates that uh, 55 East um, FX is uh, capable of providing? How competitive these are? Well, very competitive. The, the platform that uh, 55 East sits upon is a foreign exchange provider itself but because we have a partnership with them it's a revenue share model so right. what does that mean that means we can be as competitive or even more competitive than the underlying provider so we're in a very good position because if we keep our, our costs lower we not only provide a better service for the, the client we can also provide a better rate we can be really competitive and that's what counts you know. in a free in a free market competition competitive market we want to be able to, to have, give you the best price right so that, that that seems to be the the benefit for um, the SMEs that you're serving here in the region sure. and and uh, and then in the UK so how about uh, liquidity on the platform liquidity not an issue right it feeds directly into the largest market, the largest platform, uh, we have uh, Barclays Bank gives us through the through the 55 East platform. Barclays Bank is one of the, the biggest providers that, that taps into the whole global foreign exchange system. So the wholesale rates, we don't get wholesale rates, but we get rates slightly outside. Right. And that's always it's always shifting tick by tick by tick. And we, we allow the, the client to say, look, we, we put in a limit order. We're only willing to, to take this rate or we'll go direct to market. We'll take that rate. Fantastic. Fantastic. So that, that seems to be um, quite competitive. And that seems to be um, demonstrating how a mindset can change from more traditional kind of finance or like financial services, mm. Wolf of Wall Street type of type of stuff 1980s towards uh, towards the whatever new millennium new millennium or absolutely because it's just to, just to give you a, an example slightly exaggerated right but, but the example still stands so the old way you'd be on the phone talking to corporate okay mr. blogs yeah hi John uh, yeah what's the market markets uh, 22 uh, 23 uh, it's a really good rate. Oh, wait a minute, we've got a big bar coming. And no, shift that. No, it's 24, 20, 26 now. No, 27's best. Yeah, I know you're a buyer. Look, I'm 
sorry, but the, it's, the price has moved away. So he'll be, he will then be going, damn, yeah, I've missed the rate, missed the rate. So I've, I've got an offer coming in at 26. Do you want it? Do you want it? So there's a psychological element already. <laughs> now, what he's just said to the client might not have been correct. There might not have been a big buyer. The market might not have been moving. The market might well have been the same. <laughs> so you see that there was um, there was license to to move the market when it wasn't really really moving. Now, why would broker do that? In order to create some urgency with the client. So then the, the conversation continues. You know, Mr. Bloggs is getting upset because he's missed his chance. He's missed his opportunity. But wait, the market's coming back. Yeah, hi John, the market's coming back. What is it? I've got a 26 offer in, in your size. Are you interested? Do you want me to close it? I'll get it now. There's someone else looking at it. And so he says, yeah, 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 do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> so yeah, and there's a big, it sounds like there's a bit of a theater going on, but yeah. in reality, there could be nothing going. Bone down, deal done. They've got, got it. Contrast that to the now platform-based accountability. Now, John Bloggs of corporate yep. wherever is looking at his platform screen and then deciding for himself. He's got no one pressurizing him. He knows where he needs to get it done. He can sit there and wait, or he can just do it directly in the market. It's now down to the individual. Yeah, and then I guess there's a bit more transparency because Absolutely. these days you can go and see what is the rate offered on the platform. Yeah. You can go and then probably look on Google and then exactly fi right. find out what are the kind of yeah. uh, mid rates across a variety of currencies. That's a, that's a good point because uh, you've just reminded me. Uh, I was speaking to a potential uh, interested client the other day, and he said, "Okay, can you can you quote me on a hundred thousand?" dollars worth I said sure screenshot of a hundred thousand dollars what the rate was I also show him a, a million dollars because it's a better rate on the on the higher volume yeah so a screenshot of a million dollars what rate it would be slightly better and then I, I showed him from a screenshot of investing.com yeah it's one of the, one of the uh, information platforms of where the spot rate the, the wholesale rate and how far so he could compare what he was getting compared to the wholesale rate. He came back to me and said, wow, that's, that's, those are pretty good rates. It was nothing, it was, he couldn't see anything better. So, so it's a great way. There's, there's transparency and I think clients want that these days. Yeah, transparency is certainly, um, it's certainly important. I think um, not only, to, the, not only to, to, to end clients and then customers, but also to regulators, as, as you rightly mentioned, because um, these days, the financial regulators across the globe, they, they, they want to kind of keep an eye on you and then they want to, to make sure that, uh, um, that everything is as transparent as possible, yeah. even in, in real time. If, uh, even in real time. Um, now, now, admittedly, foreign exchange isn't a fully regulated part of the financial service industry, not like equity derivatives or, or, or credit default swaps, I'm sure, as well. <laughs> but. Uh, but it still comes under the remit in the UK of the FCA. Yeah. And if you bend the rules, you'll, you'll, not only will you you'll get caught out, your reputation suffers. If you lose your reputation, you lose your business. That's very important indeed. So if I was to, if I was to ask you what, um, I mean, 
where do you see the the, the, the FX market going? What uh, what will be your take on uh, what would be your take on that? I think we see the FX market slowly but surely evolving in terms of fintech. Uh, technology will play a greater role. Right. Uh, can't see further than a couple of years at a time. To be honest, it's a very fast-moving space. But the t technology that's coming on online is just more than I can I can imagine. I'll be honest. So maybe there'll be a bit of AI. I think they'll still still have to have the human element there in some form or another. But perhaps AI does does play a larger role. Beyond that. AI in terms of what, if you don't mind me asking, what what an AI algorithm would do in the in the FX market? Just executing orders or? Yeah, I think executing orders. For, right now we uh, we have a platform where the, the human taps in and says, okay, I want to buy at this level and this is the amount, this is where it's, I want it to go to, this bank account. Uh, that That's probably, at some stage, that will probably become automated right through an API onto onto one of the platforms uh, what is interesting is that these days if you put in a um, an incorrect bank account then it flags up on on platforms on the platform so if it doesn't correct that bank account doesn't correspond with what's in the global banking network it can be pinpointed immediately which is you know, very clever so you can't put in something that. Sorry, that's a that's a poor address. That's that's a wrong address. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it checks the address. So there's things like that, which technology-wise, it's, it's pretty fantastic from my perspective. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it's it, it is great, and it's once again helping the shall I say the users or the customer. And it's all for, all for better service. Hopefully, a lower price. We're always trying to improve the service at a lower price. I think that's the key. That's what all clients want. And as a service provider, that's our aim. Do you uh, do you see the major in the major financial institutions, both on the sell side and then on the on the buy side, adopting the kind of uh, mentality that you have adopted yourself, and then being able to to navigate um, easily that, that culture shift from kind of physical to digital, from uh, traditional finance to yeah. financial technology. Yeah, I was, I was having a chat with uh, the CIO of a, a large fund here in Dubai yep. that I did a podcast with. And he was telling me that, and he's very similar age to me, and uh, he was telling me that a lot of his cohort uh, peers they haven't accepted the reality of the changes that are going on within financial technology, fintech. So what does that say to me? It's more of an individual mindset, attitude in seeing in that either you go with what's, what's happening to improve your own self, try and stay with, try and update your, your own expertise and, and knowledge, or you get left behind. Because, right. because if something's in the process of happening, generally speaking, it's happening. There's nothing. There's a wave that's just gonna gonna hit the land. And either you're with the wave, or you get bowled over. 
So my view is try don't get bowled over. Go with it as, as much as you can. Try and re-educate yourself and, uh, and improve yourself at the same time. Stay up to date. That's a, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice that um, that people should listen to. Just being able to, to actually embrace change and then uh, advocate change is something which is fundamentally important, not only in, in financial services but in any yes, in any think, business. Uh, in, in in life, you you have to keep yourself as updated as you can. It's not easy. <laughs> we all like we all like the. Uh, the soft option at times. <laughs> no, yeah, but then um, nothing, nothing is easy. Um, anyway, thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Uh, it's great having you here. Thank you. Boss. You guys, uh, uh, you know, thank you for watching, and then we'll definitely be in touch. Do not hesitate to share uh, the content that you like. Do not hesitate to come up with questions. Nigel is going to be very happy to. Uh, to answer those, Absolutely. I'll be happy to, yeah. to to answer those, and then we'll be in touch with you very soon. Thank you very much. Bye bye now. Thank you.